Oko and Dreadhorde, they gotta go. Once upon a time there was a thief who stole crowns Left us a trail of crumbs that we could follow around To find a transformed king, polymorph to an elf Who dropped his chalice of the void and prayed to himself Dear Watsi, Watsi, he my demand Send Oko away to a faraway land He's a glutton for punishment, you must understand It's time his name be etched upon the list of the band When suddenly the king was overtaken by mist Signaling the arrival of a dreaded horde arcanist Bolted his mind with flashbacks, he thought he dismissed a titan slaughtering a nimble mongoose out in the distance. Dear Watsi, Watsi, heed my demand. Send Red Horde away to a faraway land. Let it tend to Nicol Bolas, who's forever been damned inside your prison realm, branded with your hammer for bands. Watsi, Watsi, heed our demand. Legacy needs a savior, you must understand. Oko and Dread Horde, they gotta go. Once they're gone, we can talk about Uro. Watsi. Watsi. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bashanral on YouTube, Thraven University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 41 of the Eternal Glory podcast. Come on, wizards. This episode is going to be a vast departure from the way that our podcast normally works. Normally, there's 30 minutes, an hour of of banter, anecdotes, feedback, and general ridiculousness. But tonight, we're, we're all business, and we're trying to get some ears on some difficult issues having to deal with legacy right now. So we're going to do some more formal introductions than we normally do. To start, I'm Phil Gallagher. I've been playing Legacy for about 10 years. I'm most well-known for my work with Legacy Death and Taxes, and I run Thraben University, the site for Death and Taxes. Now I'm a variety streamer, and I play about four different decks a week for content creation purposes. I've been involved in a number of community-driven projects, such as the Legacy Premier League, and I love Legacy, and I make content for people who also love Legacy. My name is Brent Cook. I've played competitive Legacy through thick and thin since the inception of the format. It's what I care about, and it's my favorite format. I want to see Legacy thrive. You likely know me as a content creator from TheEpicStorm.com and varying tournament success. And I am Brian Koval. I've been playing Legacy since 2008. I've won the Star City Invitational. I've won a Grand Prix. I have six Star City Legacy Classic Top 8s with two wins. I am a Pro Tour competitor. And I'm the all-time best-performing Eternal Weekend player with five top eights and a win over the last four years. I was a member of the Vintage Super League, the Popper Premier League, and I release daily Eternal YouTube content on top of my full-time job. I love Eternal formats, and I want them to be approachable to the highest number of interested players on as many metrics as possible. All this is to say, we're not people yelling into the void because we're mad and upset. We're people who are really invested in the community. We love Legacy. We love this community. But people are really struggling with Legacy right now. And hopefully you'll hear us out today and maybe we can do something to get more people excited about this format again. Um, As always, before we get started, I do want to thank our donors, Kevin Brenneman, Tauren Skinner-McGinnis, and Matt Hackbert. Thank you very much for supporting the stream. When did our podcast become a stream? I'm not even wearing pants. 
<laughs> All right. Um, so starting off our uh, super serious, dignified appeal to wizards by talking about how we're not wearing pants, let's begin with where Legacy is currently at. Um, and it's kind of a, a dark place. The community as a whole is is plagued by a sense of malaise right now, to use some fancy words. And Joe Dyer of MTG Goldfish has started crowdsourcing data collection to try and empirically show that the format is not healthy. And I want to emphasize how much of a royal pain in the butt this data collection is. This involves people staying in the events until they are over and then manually re-watching every replay in the event to figure out win-loss records of these decks. This is the degree of dedication that people are going to right now to take a like hard, data-driven look at this format and say, is this okay? So last weekend was a pretty big weekend for Legacy. There was a Super PTQ, there was a Showcase, and a Legacy Challenge, all in about a, the, the seven days or so, a, a seven-day span. And the Legacy Showcase, four of the top eight were Rugged Elver. The Legacy Super PTQ was won by Daniel Gutchell, Guldicott, with Rugged Elver. Daniel ran it back and split the finals of the Legacy Challenge the day after winning the PTQ. And did we need these data points to know that these decks are are the top of the format? Like, I, I don't know, uh, going into this super hot week of Legacy, if, like, this this big final hurrah for Oko and Dreadhorde Arcanist and Uro was really what we needed. I personally would have loved to see what wizards traditionally does before a grand prix with uh maybe a banner or something before this week that was just jam-packed full of important legacy events if we had a wide open format without you know a couple of these cards that are fairly oppressive how many how many decks are legacy viable right now if you truly want to win that tournament how many different decks would you recommend to people i have a number in my mind i bet it will be the same as your numbers it's easy two two yeah, I, I would say three. I would give like a, a Storm Master, like uh, Bryant, the option to play the Epic Storm. Uh, but in general, it is Rug or Snowco. When every week's like that, when every big tournament is just like, do I play Rug? Do I play Snow? Or do I lose percentage points by playing this deck that I've been playing for 10 plus years? It uh, It feels a little bad. And if you try... If if you ask, like, what is the next best deck after Rug and Snow, I don't think you would get consistent answers from anyone, even the most invested Legacy players. I think there's probably a tier of, like, pretty good decks. It's just that they're not close to the top two. Like, there's a level in between. And there's always going to be a best deck in a format. It's the fact that this deck is S-tier. It's just better than everything else, even when you try to metagame against it. Yeah, and we'll we'll dig into that a bit. Lots of people have been doing things like, here's my legacy tier list, and I don't think tier lists are particularly helpful, but always at the top, it's rug and it's snow. And there's hard agreement there. One of the more insidious things about this current legacy tier list is that having an S tier is already uh, toxic for the metagame. But the S tier completely obliterates tier 2.5 tier 3 yeah i don't want to go too deep into this but 
Um, if you're a variety streamer, content producer of some kind, and you're playing all these like fun brews that are definitely questionable, you are you are feeling the sting of the power of the top of the metagame right now uh, in a way that I don't know that I've ever felt before. Yeah, I will echo that. Again, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I also do donation leagues on my channel, and I play a lot of weird decks. And it it was actually this past week I was recording Azorius Bogles, which was a donation deck, and I had a core spirit dancer covered in auras. It, it had like Vigilance, First Strike, Trample, uh, Protection from Creatures, Protection from White, and my opponent played Oko, and elked it, which it doesn't get much smaller, but it loses all those abilities because of how layers work. So they elked my my Voltron and then just blocked it with an Ice Fang Coatl. And that was like the moment where I was like, really? Like, come on, Oko. So I will say this. You're saying that these decks, you know, they don't line up well, which I can understand. It would be one thing if playing rug delver or snow was very very difficult like if it was a truly skill testing thing that like the best players won with it and like the average players lost a lot i would understand but the fact of the matter is like rug delver isn't the most difficult deck to play and i'm not trying to make anyone feel bad but like i am a storm specialist a lot of people would try to pigeonhole me as after eternal weekend i just thought it might be fun to run rug delver in a legacy challenge I easily won the event going 10-0. Like, on zero practice, I haven't run Rug Delver in years. Probably 2014 was the last time I played the deck. 10-0 through the Swiss. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, 7-0 through the Swiss. Easily won in the top eight. And then the next week, I ran it back with Snow. And I ended up losing in top four, but, like, it was by a thin margin. When you're running Oko in your deck, paired with we're going to go further into this, but with six to seven force effects due to force and negation, it's really easy to just steamroll the metagame because your answers are so much better than the threats. Yeah, I had a similar experience at Eternal Weekend. Uh, it was online this year. There were three events, three days in a row. My first day, I played Shark Still, which was a deck I worked very hard on. Uh, you can go back and look at my content. Like I was in on this deck. I tuned it. I had the most reps of any deck with shark still i went two three and out of there and then uh the next day i tried maverick because i thought it would be a smart meta call news flash it wasn't and then the third day i was like you know what fuck it i'm gonna play snoko also on no reps i just copied the list that won friday night's eternal weekend on sunday and i went on a 7-0 run before losing back-to-back win and ins and that, that was just ice cold no pun intended in order to play these decks at a high level, you really just have to know how to properly sequence your cantrips. Like, that's the biggest things with these blue decks. And once you know how to, you know, pr sequence your spells correctly, at least your cantrips, you can play a majority of the blue stew decks. Like, it's not like switching from one deck to another is very difficult, as long as you can do this basic thing fairly well. It's not hard to snowball once you already have the advantage, and we'll dig into this a bit more later, but when you stick your Dreadhord Arcanist and your Oko and your opponent doesn't answer it, you you win. And the honest truth about Legacy right now is that if you aren't registering Rug Delver or maybe Snow, you're probably not giving yourself the best odds of winning. And this has hit the community really hard. I, I'm watching my friends sell out of Magic 
And when I say my friends, I, I mean my legacy friends, my people who own decks worth many thousands of dollars, the people who are deck specialists. They've been playing their deck for years. They love it deeply. And they're just like, well, snow is just better than four color loam. I should just play snow. And everyone's everyone's real down right now. We could we could use a little help. This is an honest thought, and this isn't in the show notes, but I've considered buying Rug Delver just to play it to increase the win percentage in metagame share until this like something is done. I don't know. Just a thought. You're the hero we need. But I, I really Rug Delver doesn't need your help. Like that that's the whole point of this episode. Uh it it doesn't need one more strong pilot pushing it over the the limit. It's just you know, anyone can register this deck and you know, win games without working that hard. All right. So let's start digging into the meat of the episode. So here is here is our official stance as the Eternal Glory podcast. This is this is what we would do if we had the uh, the option to press the ban button. We would choose to ban Dreadhorde Arcanist and Oko Thief of Crowns. And the cards that are often in the ban conversation, but we think are actually not the real problem, are Arkham's Astrolabe, Force of Negation, Veil of Summer, and Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath. So now obviously we need to we need to defend ourselves. We need to make our point, and so we're gonna try to do it as uh as logically and empirically as we can. So here we go. Let's jump in. Alright, so both Dreadhorde Arcanus and Oko Thief of Crowns are card advantage engines worth fighting over on the early turns and lend themselves to the pre-existing blue engines in Legacy. So Snow the Snow Piles will still exist without Oko. Rug Delver existed long before Dreadhorde Arcanist and Oko, and it will exist in the future if these cards go, but these slot right in so smoothly. And the the real problem with these is how hard they snowball and how quickly they arrive. Like they're card advantage engines and threats together in one card. The Patrick Sullivan Bane Drifter is back. I've been I've talked about this for the last like six episodes, but when Baneslayer, Andrew, and Muldrifter are on the same card, and that card costs two or three, that is not a reasonable thing to exist. They can catch up a game where you're behind, they can break open a stalemate, and they'll eventually win if left unchecked. If you're dropped on a stable board, you're just going to win. And the big problem is that the unchecked is very difficult to do right now. You used to be able to check threats, or you had a timetable where you could figure out how to check them. These cards, every turn they stick around, they bury you deeper and deeper. So this pairs with the issue of Force of Negation in in the format. Uh, Bryant has gone on record saying he, he believes it's fundamentally bad for Legacy for the card to be around, but we don't really think it's bannable. And the, the reason that these blue decks can play six and seven forces is because they have a two drop and a three drop that can recoup that lost card advantage yeah so these cards just do so much for so little and require just absolute immediacy and urgency in answering them or the game ends i i don't know how many time i've been streaming and my opponent plays a turn two dreadhorde arcanist and i look at my hand there's no removal here and i'm like okay I lost this game. 
this game goes on for a few more turns, but I'm just not coming back from this. And it's crazy that a fair two drop does that. So one of the big things with playing combo is that in the past, before Force of Negation, there was this game that you would play where you, if you were to walk into a casino, your opponent was 40% to have it. They were 40% to have the Force of Ill. You were 60%. You take that bet every time. With Force of Negation, that number is shifted. It's now somewhere between the numbers of 55 and 65%, depending on if they play two or three of them in their main deck. And now this doesn't apply to just combo decks. This applies to every deck in the format. Because if you're trying to resolve a Chalice of the Void on turn one, your opponent is somewhere in the ballpark of 60% to have the answer. And if for some reason your Chalice of the Void does slip through, or any other threat, it doesn't have to be Chalice of the Void, it could be Aether Vile, or maybe uh, some sort of creature like a Goblin Lackey, Dreadhorde Arcanist and Oko are there to pick up the slack. Dreadhorde Arcanist is going to flash back a Lightning Bolt. Oko Thief of Ground or Thief of Grounds, Thief of Crowns is going to turn that Chalice into an Elk, that Trinisphere into an Elk, you know, that Goblin Lackey, and eventually just slow the game down until Oko eventually takes over. As our fair blue player in the group, I will say I have let more Chalice of the Voids and Trinispheres resolve when I had the Force in the last year than ever before. Like I just have the Oko in my hand, and I'm like, yeah, I'll deal with that later. I'll save my Force. Chalice player here. I now usually have to sideboard out my Chalice of the Voids versus the blue decks, despite the fact that they were kind of there in the first place to fight the blue decks. Feels right, bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, long-time long Cantrip Cartel member here. The A turn one Chalice of the Void was scarier to me than almost anything. I would rather play against Dark Ritual on turn one than Chalice of the Void on turn one as a blue player who is going to rely on my ponders and brainstorms to make it happen. And I just don't respect that card anymore. I just let it resolve most of the time. We mentioned that the best thing you can be doing in Legacy is playing Rug or Snow in the format. And that's because when you have six or seven free pitch counters paired with card advantage engines such as Dreadhorde and Oko, you're at a level above everything else because the card disadvantage just doesn't matter anymore. Like Dreadhorde will very, very quickly recuperate that card advantage and Ogo will create that advantage over time. So when you have both of these cards in the same deck, it's scary. And here's the thing about these cards as well. Even if you have the answer to them, your answer doesn't resolve most of the time, especially if you're playing against Rug Delver. You're dealing with Force of Will and Force of Negation and Daze. And especially on the games where you're on the draw, it is a tough ask to actually answer these cards, even when you are specifically trying to. Yeah, last week, or our last episode, we talked about Rich Callie's article where he encouraged reconsidering how Brainstorm is played. Like, we're at the point where turn one Brainstorm out of Rug Delver just to try to hit that turn two Dreadhorde Arcanist, the way that a combo deck would be trying to spike a ritual to win. Like, that's actually what we're talking about here out of the fair deck. Like, it's just probably right to spew your brainstorm to max out that possibility of a turn two Arcanist, because that's just better than a turn two brainstorm, even with the fetch up. And this card is not just a Rug Delver card. I, I want to make sure that's clear. This card is so good in Rug Delver that people are just like, what if I play it in my deck now? 
And so now some of the snow decks and the mid-range blue decks are are trying it. And it's still really good, even if you're not playing days and you're just playing Force of Negation. And to show you how ridiculous this gets, it, this card is just getting put everywhere. There is Dreadhorde Arcanist Doomsday now. And there is Dreadhorde Arcanist Infect now. And I believe that list put up a 5-0 and it wasn't just like a meme. It was like, oh, no, like th this card is just dumb. Even if it's not a part of my central strategy, it's just so warping that it's worth playing. I do find it funny, and in fact, because the card is finally being used what it was intended for. <laughs> pump spells. Yeah, pump spell, second pump spell. That use of Dreadheart Arcanist is A-OK -okay and warms my heart. <laughs> However, after getting, like, attacked, ponder, find the counter spell to protect it, attack, lightning bolt your creature, attack, ponder, find another counter spell to protect it 15,000 times over the past year, um, it's, it's gotten a little little old yeah th this sort of line of conversation has come up in my brain a number of times i've been working on decks for people and i have to remind myself that the broken banned cards are still banned even in the decks that didn't get them banned like with that uh bogles list the other day i was like oh this would be a great luris deck it's like oh wait no i'm not allowed to do that <laughs> delver ruined it for everyone so sorry dreadhorde arcanist in infect Everyone else is ruining it for you. Shout out to the painter players here who have lost so much over the years due to the sins of other decks. <laughs> yep, rip Sensei's top. Unban it in painter while we're talking about bans, Wizards of the Coast, if you're listening. <laughs> All right. So and this same problem that we've seen with Dreadhorde Arcanus just getting shoved everywhere also applies to Oko as well. This is not just a card that's in rug or snow. And again, even linear decks like Infect are playing this card as well. And historically, Infect is one of the tightest decks in Legacy. It's cantrips, counterspells, infect creatures, and ways to make them big. That's the deck there's not room for messing around. But it turns out that, like, the Elk Machine is just that good and such a must-answer card that it will win the game on its own, even if you have no synergy with it whatsoever. Yeah, those Force of Wills that Infect used to have to use to protect their creatures... They just don't care. Like, they don't need to force Chalice of the Void. They can let it resolve and just attack with Elks or Elk it when they're ready to win. It's just, it's better than the answers that the deck was playing on those sort of axes. And all sorts of decks are jamming Oko in. Like, we've seen lands change colors. We've seen Maverick become Bant. Uh, the, the new uh, Pokey Bant Hallbreacher deck is... I think the best Hall Breacher shell and one of the best blue decks in Legacy right now. Like, there's. You can basically build anything you want around Oko, and it's going to be good enough to play. And on that same note, it's also worth changing your colors completely to play Oko. So, Four Color Loam historically was not a blue deck. Four Color Loam is now a blue deck for Oko. And it has just completely pushed out engines of the past, like Punishing Fire that were so central to the deck's identity and strategy. Well, part of Punishing Fire being shifted out of phase was Dreadhorde Arcanist as a 1-3 for some reason. Like, why did that creature need to be a 1-3? So, like, decks like lands that would that would traditionally try to police the blue decks, along with 4-color alone, aren't even doing that anymore because the threats 
live through it. Like three three elks and one three dreadhorns just laugh at punishing. Yeah, fire. as long as we're pouring one out for punishing fire, like Oko's loyalty also not particularly well attacked by direct damage either. Thing is beefy. Yeah, he's thick for sure. All right, so decks have had a long time now to adapt to these cards. And this current period is not necessarily the first period of Oko dominance that we've seen in Legacy. There have been uh, hiccups in the middle where some other broken things happened, but at basically every other time, Oko has been one of the best things to be doing. And decks have had plenty of time to try to figure out how to fight them, and these decks are still at the top. Yeah, so we look at a deck like Death and Taxes that has... Every white spell in history, it could splash colors if it wants. That deck was unplayable. Sorry, Phil, but oh, you yeah. know it's true. That deck was unplayable in the space between Oko's printing and Skyclave Apparition's printing. And even now, it's only just hanging in there. And because it got print, it got printed basically the dream card. Like, Death and Taxes were printing an abrupt decay a like appropriately colored and on theme abrupt decay variant just for you buddy and it's still just barely hanging in there and mostly indefensible but uh it can show up but it was went from unplayable to just playable enough with the printing of the perfect card Right after the printing of Skyclave Apparition, we actually saw a resurgence in Death and Taxes because it was this deck that could maybe hang with Rugdelver. And people played it. It had a few good results. And then Rugdelver and Snow shifted to decide that they wanted to beat Death and Taxes. And Death and Taxes quickly fell through the data collection that Phil referenced in the beginning of the episode with Joe Dyer. It was showing that, or did I? I might have misspoke there, but Death and Taxes was down to 33-35% once Rugdelver and Snow decided to shift to try to beat Death and Taxes. Once they decide they want to beat you, they can. You can't quite do that against Rugdelver and Snow. There aren't cards that exist that punish them due to the protection suite that they currently have. Yeah, we were promised a rare that punishes Snowlands <laughs> and Kondheim, but it's... We did like a three mana Armageddon for Snowlands, but we got a three mana hate bear that makes them come into play. I'm not, not going to go off on that. This is this is not the episode for that. But I was very, very, very upset. <laughs> yeah, so that that wasn't the banger we needed. I mean, that card that card couldn't exist in standard, and it's a standard set. We get it. We're we're, we're mostly joking about what we but like that's what it would have taken probably to really punish these snow decks but still rug delver doesn't even play basics so that doesn't answer the whole question even if we got a a like two or three mana armageddon for Snowlands, not good enough and like we talked about death and taxes these fair decks but the blue decks too like i i try to make blue white x work in every format i start with blue white and then figure out what kind of splash i need and the result I've come to over the last year is that you have to splash red for Pyroblast because you need to be able to counter or quickly remove Oko or you're going to lose. Like uh, I, th through many years, probably three years now, the Miracles community has been like, you should just play Pyroblast. And I'm like, no, who needs it? And now I'm just like, you need it. Oko is the... The thing that broke the camel's back. You need to play a third color. You have to throw away those beautiful basic mana mana bases. You need the volcanic island in there. 
Well, I think we can also look at what happened to Miracles. Like, Miracles was a deck that was so proud that it played, you know, the greatest Planeswalker in history and Jace the Mind Sculptor. And at first, they're like, well, maybe we'll play, like, one Oko or two Oko. Now it's a joke if you're playing Jace the Mind Sculptor. Like, why would you ever play that card? Yeah, it does arrive on three loyalty, which is the power of an elk, and it arrives the turn after Oko, so even plussing doesn't get you past two elks. Like, the card is just can't even hang at all and like the swords to plowshares embarrassing answer uh you need a force of will but they're, they're they play seven of them so they're gonna have one too uh, and it's just you need to warp even the fairest decks or the most controlling decks like these decks that are supposed to have crushing inevitability you have to build specifically with the actual most inevitable threat in oko in mind when you build your deck the list of legacy staples has shrunken a lot. You know, Stoneforge Mystic and things like Stoneblade and Death Attacks used to be a premier threat. And now, like, I play a Stoneforge Mystic on turn two, and it's like, okay, you get Batter Skull, I'll elk your Stoneforge, Batter Skull rots in your hand. Okay, you got a sword, it's a 3-3 elk. Enjoy. And similarly, so many other format staples like Chalice of the Void feel obsolete. As someone who loves Red Prison dearly, and like I, I've won a Legacy Challenge with that deck, I board out Chalice of the Void versus Blue decks and bring in a pile of Pyroblasts most of the time, specifically for the card Oko, because it's just that hard to beat. And as I mentioned before, if the Blue decks want to beat you, they can. And it's not like they're giving up a whole lot of sideboard space either. Most of these decks will you know, adjust one or two cards for the metagame. And that's all they need to do because the answers are so good. Uh, if we look at like a case study, traditionally Hogak decks are decks that people present as these blue dream crushers of legacy, but they really only exist in cycles. Like what will happen is Hogak will come up and will crush Rugdalver and Snow for an event. And then those decks will start to play one or two Soul Guide Lanterns or Rest in Peace or something along those lines. And then you won't see Hogak for one or two months. People will cut those cards and then it will return. One week every two months is not good enough. Like we need, we do need a cylindrical nature and legacy, but we need a deck that can consistently fight back. And we don't have that. And that's part of the bigger issue. And going back to the death and taxes point uh, with the answers being so good, Snow doesn't even play master removal anymore because it's efficient. Uh, it gets so efficient. When was the last time that like the true control deck in the format was just like, I think master answers aren't very good. Why would I play those? And like Snow's so good at answering everything. It just plays a bunch of two for ones. Notice how little the snow deck needs to adjust to beat the things that beat it. Like, so like we mentioned fighting Hoback, Hogak by changing one or two sideboard cards. And when I'm talking about like being red prison and trying to fight back, I'm talking about fundamentally changing my strategy and warping my entire sideboard to hope to beat this one card. Yeah, like Bryant mentioned, he had a good run with Snow basically on no reps a couple months ago. And his observation was, oh, I was struggling with Clothis, God of Destiny. I'll play a Celestial Purge. And that's the meta adjustment. Like Clothis, it was supposed to be the hero for red green decks that just put snow on ice but it's just like oh yeah i just need one answer to that in the 75 i'll find it yeah and once the snow players know how to play against it as well it becomes less of an issue because wouldn't you know it clothis drains for two 
and Oko can gain three a turn with food. So if they just realize, like, as the game goes very long, I can dedicate my Oko and two mana towards checking this card every turn and then answer everything else, like, as long as you understand that play pattern at a fundamental level, like, your bullet is not beating their main deckable haymaker. So why don't we get to the cards that we think aren't the real problem? Because I'm sure there's plenty of listeners here going like, how can you possibly say that about Arkham's Astrolabe? How dare you? How is it not the real problem? We're about to get into that. Yep, we we understand this section will be unpopular. Uh, probably all of these cards have come up in numerous band discussions, uh, Reddit posts, Facebook rants. Like we 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 do see that. And we hear it, and this is just our opinion on the matter, but uh, we do believe it is an informed one. Yes, and also, we, we're we not emotionally invested in any of these cards, right? So it would be very nice to see how some of these cards actually play out without the supporting cast of Oko and Dreadhord Arcanist. We identify those as the biggest problems, and if we take out some of those we can see whether or not some of these other things are truly problems. And so let's dive into why we don't think they are. So we're starting with Force of Negation, which if there was an emotional investment in this episode, Bryant would put this on the ban list. <laughs> so the fact that it made it into our not the real problem list, and he didn't even fight. This isn't like a, a two versus one democracy situation. Like Bryant was on board with this too. And, for some negation, so can I pause you, Brian? Spells, go for it. So I'd like to say that the ban list should exist to fix problems that the metagame cannot. It sh- it's not for cards that you dislike or cards that you might lose to or just cards that like you get angry about. These are for things that the metagame truly cannot answer that are problems. And I just want to emphasize that because I do think it's crucial. Absolutely. So speaking of the metagame correcting itself, Oops All Spells and Karn Echoes have been on the rise lately. They've gotten a bunch of new cards lately, and Force of Negation helps check those decks. Like it, If you look back in the history of Magic, not even just Legacy, but if we look at like Combo Summer or Teamer Wreck even more recently, when combo decks are way better than everything else that's going on, that format sucks. So having Force of Negation as just sort of the goalie to keep a deck like Oops All Spells or Belcher from being the best deck in Legacy, and that's doing us all a favor, honestly. Um, so Force of Will has historically been the check on all-in combo, and now that those decks are becoming more powerful and more consistent, it's nice to have another option. So, But the point is that there needs to be a real cost of playing Force of Negation. Dreadhorde Arcanist and Oko, like we said earlier, they provide real and immediate card advantage and repeatable card advantage they easily make up for uh, an early force and without the these cards in the format the card disadvantage starts to add up there was a long period of legacy's history where blue decks experimented with playing less than four force of will or they just put them in the board because the card disadvantage was too high a cost in fair matchups like uh, joe Lissette at the height of his miracles dominance on the star city tour he played three Force of Will for a long time. Jim Rinkowitz won a Grand Prix with four Force of Wills in his sideboard. Like That's what blue decks were trying to do to gain advantage. Now the blue decks just play six and seven forces without a problem. And that whole 
play pattern from those days where cutting on forces was the tech in Fair Mirrors. Now you need the forces because you have to answer the Dreadhorde Arcanist. You have to answer the Oko or you're going to lose. So they're both offensive and a necessary evil on defense. There are other card advantage engines in Legacy. Don't get me wrong. There's Sylvan Library paired with Oko Titan, or I'm sorry, with Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath, which can help fuel Force of Negation. That's a three card combo. That's pretty different. If you're gaining three life with a row and then paying an additional four to get plus the card to, you know, offset the card you're pitching to force indication, that is a legacy power level synergy. We're not trying to argue against that. It's just you're, when your two mana card comes down and then instantly starts putting you ahead, that's where the issue comes from. Because not only does force indication protect their dread horde, it also like allows your opponent to continue to be buried pretty much and force of negation here has a real role in legacy right now that i that i think is important it's really easy to be frustrated with force of negation when it's protecting these premier threats but the game just not ending on turn one to someone having like led echo and a ridiculous string of things go with it like that's that's nice it promotes games of magic but when that cost is just completely gone because of the quality of the things that it protects, card starts to look like the bad guy when maybe it isn't the real problem here. Yeah, if you look at the top eight of Grand Prix Atlanta, which was after M20 and before Throne of Eldraine, that's the time period of that event, there was one force of negation in that top eight uh, across, I think, like six blue decks. And... We hadn't really figured out Dreadhorde Arcanist yet, and we didn't have Oko yet. And I think that's the difference. Like, I don't think that we just hadn't figured out that Seven Forces was the right number yet. It's that it wasn't good enough. It wasn't right at the time. All right, so let's move on to our, our next like point of discussion, and that's Veil of Summer. Now, Veil of Summer has some awesome roles in Legacy as well. And wouldn't you know it, it's a great way to combat Force of Negation and Force of Will. If your opponent is playing a stack of counter magic and you get to say no to that and draw a card, that's a really powerful effect. And we're good with that existing. There, there should be checks and balances in place. Your opponent is playing counter spells. You should have things like Cavern of Souls and Veil of Summer that can fight back against them. Yeah, and those things come at a deck building cost. Like Cavern of Souls, you need a density of that creature type. For Veil of Summer, you need to be playing green, which if Oko's not around, that's a big cost. And while Veil is really strong, when you get the, the one mana cryptic command, the counter your spell draw card mode, it feels insane. But it's not universally strong. You give up something when you choose to play it. Uh, like Veil on power level is pretty comparable to pyroblast which is a card that is literally older than the format uh it was existed before magic even had formats it's been there the whole time nobody complains about it and it, it's a legacy staple and if you really analyze veil of summer compared to pyroblast sometimes your pyroblast doesn't draw a card like if you're if it's like the second or third spell in a counter war veil of summer would have been better there if Oko's on the stack, Veil of Summer's a brick. If Oko's in play, Veil of Summer's a brick. Like there's a lot of situations where, or if your Veil of Summer counters their Pyroblast and you don't draw a card, 
they're pretty comparable in that situation. Like there's, I, I would kind of say format wide, Pyroblast is a more powerful card than Veil of Summer and nobody has ever suggested banning Pyroblast. Brian, that's a great point. And I think you can also see the correlation through Vintage. Like Veil of Summer hardly sees any play in Vintage for the reasons that you just described. And it makes me think of the Patrick Sullivan quote about cards being printed today versus cards printed in the past. No one's throwing their arms up in the air over how good Wasteland is. Am, am I right? Like they've grown to become accustomed to these cards. It's the fact that things like Veil of Summer are slightly newer. And I realize that it might sound a little bit hypocritical when we're discussing Oko and Dreadhorde Arcanist. I totally get it. I really do. The problem is the metagame can't fix those issues. Like we've been trying now. We actually recorded an episode, I believe in June or possibly July about this very issue. And here we are doing it again in January. Yeah. And now instead of just like, hey, these are some things that are going on. Now we're calling to action. Like this, this is actually bad. Like we are the podcast, the legacy voices that are always like, okay, let's take it slow. Let's give the meta a chance. Let's let's build some decks, like try to fix it. And here we are with an actual like, hey, wizards, seriously, we need some help here. Entire episode. So Veil of Summer is often cited as killing decks and i don't really know that this is actually true so for example veil of summer is often cited as killing the discard based decks and i i get donations for these sorts of things all the time and let me tell you in reality i think the discard based strategies are so bad right now because of how good the threats are you thought season him your opponent cool they stick dreadhood arcanist or oko oh no oh no 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 that that game ends because of that one threat that stuck and whereas if they cast a veil of summer and your hymn gets countered and they draw a card does that sting yeah is the game over in any way no absolutely not if one of these cards sneaks into play through that pile of discard spells that player will recoup all of their lost cards and present a clock in a single spell that loses th you the game if you can't answer it Yep, you can easily go from Hellbent to miles ahead with a single top deck of Dreadhorde Arcanist or Oko. Like I, I've played, I've gotten donation leagues for Mono Black Pox, Lone Pox, and Red Black Pox over the last three weeks. The Pox people just love paying me to play their deck, and every single time it's the same story. It's just like, Thoughtseize, him, him, you're Hellbent, I have Ensnaring Bridge, and Curse Scroll, what could go wrong? You top deck Oko. You elk the curse scroll. It can attack because of my own ensnaring bridge. And then they build up an elk army until they elk the ensnaring bridge and I lose. It's just one card. And like I when you're a mono black deck, you can't be cantripping for your your eliminate. Uh smallpox doesn't hit that thing. Like the top decks are really what are killing discard decks, not Veil of Summer. I've, I'm probably the one here that has cast the most discard spells in my life. And the, the general game plan is you play the discard spell, you look at your opponent's hand, and then you choose an avenue to attack. With the current power level of cards in Legacy, this plan is no longer viable. If everything is terrific, there's no picking an avenue because that avenue doesn't exist. And it's one of the reasons why Storm decks have shifted away from discard spells over the last year or so especially with effects like mystic sanctuary just bringing back the counter spell or whatever you discard 
And Veil Summer often gets blamed for like the death of ad nauseum tendrils, but that's just not the case. When you play a discard spell and you're looking at multiple different force effects in your opponent's hand, how does picking one do anything? And Veil of Summer ends up being the scapegoat, and people that aren't as invested into this sort of play pattern as I am may not be as familiar, but trust me, I'm not saying this out of bias. Like, this card just, it's not as good as the internet would like you to think it is. Yeah, I, as an invested Legacy player, thought for a long time that Veil of Summer killed Ad Nauseam Tendrils, and I ended up filming an entire hour-long episode of a webcast talking to two Storm experts who convinced me otherwise. Like, once they laid out their case to my outside perspective, I was like, oh yeah, obviously, Veil of Summer barely even mattered. It's probably better for Ant than against it, once you actually think about what's going on. That is not the problem. And, Brian, I'd like to go back to your example about the Ensnaring Bridge Curse Scroll before. Can you name a time period in Legacy where the Delver decks have had repeatable answers? Because as far as I can think of, like the best thing Delver decks ever had before Oko was Brazen Borrower. You had an answer that later became a pseudo Vendalian click. And that was terrific. When was the last time someone played a Brazen Borrower? Yeah, like a Braid was a game changer when Amonkhet came out or Hour of Devastation, whichever set that was in. And then Brazen Borrower blew everyone's mind. And now those cards are, are not even played like, unless you're trying to get under the Okos by just playing blue red Delver. But that's, that's a style choice more than actually being a good one. So yeah, there's, I I played a lot of Delver in my life and it usually was you play like one sweet card for every matchup in your sideboard and you use your cantrips to tie it together. And like that, if you're playing against the Merit Lage deck, you better be cantripping for your Brazen Borrower or your Submerge aggressively. Like you didn't get, just get to have three Okos. So th this is a totally different world. And a secretly insidious thing there means that these decks that have Oko have more real sideboard slots because they don't need to play as many sort of narrow niche cards to deal with the various things of the format because Oko deals with everything. Dreadhorde Arcanist buries everyone. And this is why these Oko Dreadhorde decks get to adjust and play one or two cards to then later bury the decks that beat them. Yeah, Death and Taxes won the showcase, correct? The Co one where Correct. Aaron formed. Relentless took it down. I did commentary on the matches. It was fantastic. Right. So Death and Taxes won that event. They went through Jarvis U in either the top four or the finals. Like he he also did well in that event with Rug Delver. And Bryant and I are in a group chat with Jarvis where he was bemoaning that he cut the Sulfur Elemental right before the, the tournament because he wasn't worried about death and taxes. But it really would have been that easy. Like, that might have been Jarvis's tournament if he just played Sulfur Elemental, and it would have been that easy. Like, I watched some of your commentary on Aaron Relentless, Relentless's matches, and it, they played brilliantly. And what if the opponent just had Sulfur Elemental? Like all of your work for nothing because they were just are able to play this super niche, largely irrelevant sideboard card. Yeah. When I talked to him, when I asked permission to do commentary on his matches, he said, yeah, I kind of got lucky. No one was ready for death and taxes this weekend, which meant it was great for me to play it. That goes back to the Hogak example of once every two months, this one deck is viable because that's how 
you have to beat the snow dreadhorde ducks now yep and to elaborate on that point like the medic games should be cyclical things should move but it should be like hogak won the event shift your archetype to be good against hogak like play a different deck or something it shouldn't be tweak a sideboard card like the entire metagame versus the rug and snow sideboard plan is currently it's dual decks oko versus the format and i think part of this is that arkham's astrolabe does enable the snow decks to get to run the best cards in every color like at this point snow is a five color deck that is base blue and arkham's astrolabe does help enable that uh, and part of the reason it does this is that it may it dampens the effects of things like rashad important wasteland that decks like death and taxes would traditionally use to punish a greedy mana base or even the delver deck uh snow plays last time i checked seven basics and Wasteland looks sort of embarrassing against the seven basic deck that is running five colors. <laughs> so because of this ability to fight against the things that so often battled these greedy decks, like the Blood Moons aren't good against this, the Back to Basics aren't good against it, Wasteland and Part aren't good against it. Because of this, Arkham's Astrolabe is very frequently a card that is called for a ban. But personally, I think most of Astrolabe's real power comes from Oko itself. This card is way less threatening when it's not going to become a 3-3 later in the game and actually serve as a win condition, you know, a la Deathrite Shaman in formats of ages past. That's a great compare... comparison, Phil. Yeah. If you compare this to, say, Abundant Growth, which is basically an Astrolabe, but it requires you to, like, be in green, that effect existed for a long time in Legacy, and only Enchantress played it. And that's because that deck had other synergy with the card. If you remove Oko, the primary avenue of synergy for Astrolabe is gone. And then it's just a mana fixer. A damn good mana fixer, but a mana fixer. Yep. And really our final thought on Astrolabe is none of us would be sad to see it go. If it ends up on the inevitable ban list, sure, whatever. <laughs> I'm not heartbroken. We're not arguing for it. It's just, uh, it doesn't seem quite bannable in the legacy power level. This is one of those cards where I would really like to see how it performs in a world without Oko and reevaluate it there. Because in that world without Oko, maybe it's important to be playing things like Spell Pierce or Spell Snare again, and then tapping that mana on turn one to fix your mana for the rest of the game actually becomes spooky again also i've posted screenshots on twitter of hands that are like basic planes basic island astrolabe abrupt decay and then like a bunch of cards that are not blue or white just this hand would crumble if my opponent force of willed this astrolabe but you can't afford to force of will astrolabe because the oko could show up two turns later then you feel like an a jackass for wasting your force of will on astrolabe i think it would be really interesting to see four color snow in a metagame where there's not a single card win condition that you have to save your force for like i would love to see the play pattern of firing off force of will or spell pierce on that turn one astrolabe and see how that those decks hold up in that world all right so let's go ahead and uh move on to one of the other boogeymen of the format right now and that's everyone's favorite titan, Uro. 
Is he everyone's favorite Titan? There's a lot of Primeval Titan fans out there. Yeah, that's true. The the Applejack's deck I occasionally play where we get to like Primeval Titan and Titania and shenanigans like that is a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, so I want to talk about Uro. Uh, like I, When the concept for this episode came up, I said in our group chat, I want to stump for Uro. Like, I don't think that Uro belongs on the legacy ban list at all. Uh, Astrolabe, I wouldn't care if it goes, but I genuinely think that Uro is a cool legacy card. And it's exactly the sort of powerful finisher a control deck should have. It requires a large mana investment that's seven total mana across, usually across two turns, unless you you draw it on turn eight or whatever and just fire it in. It can't be played early due to the requirement of cards in your graveyard. And it, if you stick a card like that, you deserve to win the game. Remember, this is the format of Dark Ritual and Show and Tell and like all these other insane uh, Doomsday. These are cards you can play in the format. And we're talking about like a seven mana 6-6 six, six with Growth Spiral attached. Like that's what we want to ban. And this card is like fundamentally different than Oko and Dreadhorde Arcanist, which require no setup. Oko just dominates whatever board it arrives on. Dreadhorde Arcanist asks you the difficult question of put some cantrips in your deck and you'll get rewarded. Uro, you need to be playing Simic, like heavy Simic. Blue, blue, green, green to get it back out of the graveyard is a big ask. And you have to be able to make the game long enough that your graveyard is full of cards to bring it back. Like nobody's turboing this thing out with Thought Scour. Like that's not how Oko comes in or Uro comes into play. It comes into play after long drawn out games, like three or four fetch lands have been cast. You cast some brainstorms. There's a force of will in the graveyard. Like this is a late game card. And that's a big ask in the format with all these busted combos legal. When I was playing snow, I was actually terrified of surgical surgical attraction. Like, there was turns where I tapped out and I said, if my opponent surgicals Uro here, I don't know if I can win. And fortunately, the consensus at the time was you don't board in surgical in the mirror. I did it and I single-handedly won a mirror match because of it. But I was just terrified the entire time. There are ways to fight back against Uro. Graveyard hate, including rest in peace, is actually fantastic against Uro. Yeah, so Uro currently at the time of this recording is the most played creature in historic, pioneer, modern, and legacy, and it's banned in standard. So obviously this card is good. Oh, hold on. Don't forget the part about Vintage now. Oh, a Rug Xerox shell. They replace the two Tarmogoyf slots with two Uros. And uh, so that card, it's been in every format that it can be in. Uh, Even way before that, Matt Murray, Chubby Rain, was brewing with Uro and Vintage and trying to use fast bond to turbo out a mystic sanctuary time walk loop. And he was pretty reliably like getting infinite turns with Uro on like turn three. So there's some cool stuff you can do, but that's not what we're here to talk about. So the card was too good for standard. It's probably too good for historic. Then we get into pioneer modern legacy and we're here to talk about legacy. And I think that it's totally fine at this power level. Like I said, it takes a lot of mana, a lot of time, a lot of work to get it into play. And its body, the 6-6 six, six on the other side, common answers include Swords to Plowshares, Caracas, Fatal Push, Abrupt Decay, Skyclave Apparition, Pyroblast, Submerge, any Graveyard Hate, Teferi, Time Raveler, 
Jace the Mind Sculptor, who might we might see again if Oko and Dread Horror Canister are gone. That's just off the top of my head. We're not even talking about specialized answers here. Those are just cards that are in decks. And if you kill that 6-6 body, even just bounce it with Caracas, sure, they get to draw another card when they evoke it again, but then they need six more cards in the graveyard and another four mana to bring it back. And if you end up losing a game where you bounce or killed Uro multiple times and they brought it back multiple times, I think that's a good game of Magic. Like, Magic was played in that game. Is that the definition of tempo? <laughs> I... I think that it is. I think Caracasing Uro is the definition of tempo. <laughs> All right. Before the Twitter mobs get out for us, we better stop talking about tempo. All right. So Uro is often problematic and people get really frustrated by it when it gets paired with other cards. So for example, when it's the mid to late game and people start looping Uros and they have a Sylvan library and all of a sudden they have 30 life to work with. Yes. Okay. You get buried by Uro plus Sylvan library but your opponent has kept a high enough life total throughout that game where the Sylvan Library is live, and then Uro allows them to continue to use it. And I think that's totally fine. Like, I am okay with the blue, pair, blue player burying me on turn 8 or 9 after we've already had a decent back and forth. I'm good with that. If you don't want to get buried by Sylvan Library, apply some pressure. Like, play a combo deck or put some creatures into play. Maybe Tarmogoyf will come back. A couple of slaps from a Tarmogoyf will undo a Sylvan Library real quick. There's And without Oko, that's another source of consistent life gain for these Sylvan Library decks. And just the, the being able to pick your spots and identify what's worth a Force of Will. Because right now, these snow decks like turn 2 Sylvan Library. I really don't want that in play, but the turn 3 Oko is going to be worse. But if I don't counter this, they're more likely to have the turn three Oko. So you just have to fire it off and then you get Oko'd. And even if you have like Force and Pyroblast to hit both of them, then the Uro starts to reload and then it feels bad. But that's because you had to spew so hard on turn two and turn three just to remain competitive at all. And then you have an, a, a game where you're already behind against this Uro engine. So the context is really important. And uh, I, I do think that Uro is not inappropriate for Legacy's power level. All right, so let's say that what we're suggesting actually happened in like this like ideological world. Let's say Oko and Dreadhorde Arcanist were removed from Legacy, and these other cards, you know, we'll keep an eye on them. What is the fallout like? What happens in this hypothetical world? So some people are a little bit concerned even now, about the power level of some of the things like Doomsday, Oops All Spell, and maybe some of the various Urza Echo decks. I I think those decks are, are very good, but if we leave Force of Negation in the format, you still have, you know, the option to play a pile of free counter magic if you're a blue deck that can interact with these. And so I think removing some of those premier th threats while keeping an important tool against the degenerate combo decks is a great starting point. There's also the fact that if we're removing those cards from the metagame, a lot of these decks that are currently playing tons of cards in their sideboard to try to even keep up with the fair decks now just gained a bunch of sideboard slots. What do you think they can do with all these brand new sideboard slots? 
Yeah, I'll tell you, if Oko leaves the format, all of my Jeskai control decks are becoming blue-white again, and all of my Pyroblasts are getting replaced with Deafening Silence and Stony Silence kind of effects. Like, that's that's the kind of sideboard that I'm happy to build. I'm excited to build. And it's not forced. It's just I'm choosing to beat these sort of decks, which is what a sideboard should do. It shouldn't have to elevate you to just reasonably competitive against the top tier. I was thinking about it yesterday while brainstorming up lists, and I was like, if I didn't have to play these four copies of Carpet of Flowers for Delver, I could be running two Chain of Vapors and two Surgicals for those Oopsell spells lists. But I can't do that if I ever want to keep up with Rug Delver. Yeah, so we we didn't put this in the show notes, and it's dangerous for me to even say it, but two of those three scary decks waiting in the wings are Thassa's Oracle decks. Just saying. Like, I, I don't have an opinion. We didn't think about it at all. Like, the format's not in a position where I could even have an opinion on whether Thassa's Oracle is good for Legacy or not. And it prob- it's probably fine. I think I like it. But there is another 2019-2020 card lurking in the problem zone here. That said, I don't know if Oops All Spells is a problem because of Thassa's Oracle or her more recent printings. Uh, but then again, I think the deck is of a, a legacy power level. Right. I Agreed. think the deck is fine. That was just an idle thought that I'm sure Reddit will hang me for. Yeah. Something, something, something. Fire design, something, something. But that's an entirely different episode. All right. Yeah, that's so cool. the, uh, the other thing is that, like, Delver doesn't go anywhere, right? Like, you neuter Delver. Delver doesn't go away. It it is the eternal cockroach of this format. It will still be probably either the best or the second best deck in the format. And unless you go like radical and you you ban Delver, you ban Days or something like that, like no, nothing about that is going to change. Delver is just still going to be top dog. So Delver will still be there with its pile of free counter magic to go and police some of these unfair decks. And there always has to be a best creature. Like there, no matter what format you're in, something's going to be the best thing you can do. And if Delver is the best tempo threat and Uro is the best control threat, I don't think that's a problem. Like this, that would that's kind of reminiscent of when Death Shadow first broke out in Modern, and people were like, "We need to ban Death Shadow," and that's just the difference between a good deck and a problem like best Sh- death shadow never got banned the deck is still fine it was never a huge problem it's just a good deck if your best deck in your format the problem in people's mind is like a pretty aggressive creature then i i think that's okay so going back to the uh doomsday oops all spells urza echo decks and having cyborg cards to hate these those decks are probably going to rotate how playable they are once people start to have more cyborg slots on them. Like those aren't decks that are so good that people are going to start playing cyborg cards and then they're going to stay on top of the metagame. Like I can't imagine Oops All Spells stays being like, you know, mid tier one, if it's even that now, once people start running like four Leyline of the Void for it. Like that deck's going to slide right down. That's not happening currently with decks because there's no room to fight lower tier decks when everyone's aiming for the top dog similarly if you want to fight against like some of these urza echo decks a lot of times in the past when i've played them i've i've been stone cold dead to a null rod 
because it, it stopped a lot of my primary game plans while also shutting off a couple of my lands to boot and like my moxen that are powering out my sweet cards like those those cards are hateable sorry those decks are hateable and pyroblast is also just a common card that's played in the format and that hits you know the narsets the whole breachers the urzas the emery's just a huge swath of that deck the official stance of the eternal glory podcast is we do not recommend playing norad thank you wait uh, hold up that... <laughs> no stony silence is harder to answer you're right brian oh yeah good call let's let's get people running that in addition to norad like mix up the types also, let's look at this this next tier down of potential problems. You know what else is good against those? Chalice of the Void, Trinisphere, cards that are not viable when Oko's in the format. Yeah. Like the entire Stompy archetype, the Ancient Tomb archetype is gone. The Ancient Tomb Pillar of Legacy does not currently exist, and that's supposed to exist to check this sort of nonsense. The, the current version of Red Prison is no longer a prison deck. It's, I'm playing the most efficient red-beating creatures that I can, and hoping I can end the game before you can play an Oko. That's the plan right now, and I'm not exaggerating. I recently played a, a red prison, red aggro, moon stompy list, whatever you want to call it, that I think ran 15 more threats in the sideboard, so that you could board out your chalices and your trinospheres and all of your lock pieces to just jam dudes and hope it worked. Yeah, like I, I've told the story a number of times in various media of my Eternal Weekend opponent who mulled to five, then had a turn one Blood Moon, and I just played Arkham's Astrolabe and passed the turn with seven cards in hand. But to go to to cast their Blood Moon, they pitched Goblin Rabble Master to a Chrome Mox. If they had pitched Blood Moon and cast Goblin Rabble Master, I probably would have just gotten run over that game. Like that's just a better way. Like just being hyper aggressive, balls to the wall is more viable than lock pieces. Like, Trinisphere, Blood Moon's straight up embarrassing. Chalice of the Void's not good, like we talked about. Trinisphere's not that good, because Oko costs three anyway. <laughs> Surprise. Yep. So, I have an honest question yeah. for you two. Do you think that the format would speed up, or would it slow down with Oko and Dreadhorde removed? Keep in mind, there are these combo decks that we're discussing. So, I... I think that the format slows down a bit as a whole. And I think right now there is this play pattern of answer this immediately or die. And that really applies to Dreadheart Arcanist and Oko both. Now, does the game literally end on that turn? No, but in reality, turn two or turn three is often the deciding turn of a game of Magic right now. And I think as a whole, because like our control and mid-range and Delver matchups are going to take longer to end, the format does end up slowing down. Are people still going to be jamming these combo decks because like they're sick and fun and good? Yeah, absolutely. But I think by removing the premier threats of the format, the decks that are slightly slower now or not quite competitive now or less consistent at answering these threats become more viable. And a lot of those decks are slower to start with. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, combo player is going to combo, but uh, Bryant, as the person who has won the most games on turn one and two among us, how does it feel that Rug Delver can also win the game on turn two with some reliability? <laughs> like you're you're not even doing anything special. You're working really hard to to be worse than Rug Delver. 
I can't. And that's what we're all doing, by the I way. I can't tell we you how many times I've had a huge sigh of relief where my opponent taps out on turn two and it's not Dread Horde. Same. Same. Like the feeling when your Delver opponent ponders on turn one instead of playing Delver, that's the first like sigh of relief in a lot of games. But the even bigger one is when they do literally anything except Dreadhorde Arcanist. Like, sometimes I, I'm at the point where even if I have basics in hand, I will hang a non-basic land out into play on turn one or two, hoping it gets wasted to buy me a turn from Dreadhorde Arcanist arriving. So, Brian, uh, when we were still discussing Uro, you mentioned Sylvan Library. And you said, hey, tap out for this on turn two and recover uh, advantage after that. I love it when people tap out for Sylvan Library. I get excited. But like, so they're going to, like, let's say they do get to untap. In this, like, not perfect world, they get to untap. So often people are so greedy where they pay, they just snap pay eight life against me and they're like, yes, I just Ancestral Recall for green. I get excited about that too. Like, I am like, yes, my opponent paid a real cost for their card advantage. They are now at 12 life. I need Storm 6. Like, that's how games should be. Like, there should be costs for what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, Sylvan Library emerged from the ashes. Like, it's always been kind of legacy playable. You might have seen it in the sideboard of, like, Maverick or whatever. But the blue decks playing two to four of this card with regularity, that happened with Oko and Uro in the format. Like, these repeatable life gains, these cards that are worth spewing whatever early resource you have to. Like, I'll pay 16 life and force of will two spells, go down four cards and be at four life to get Oko into play. And that's just really what we're playing out right now. Yeah, I I really look forward to a time when we have, like, some nice slower games again that really allow for players to, like, leverage their skill, allow decks to do their thing, rather than just, like, everything being, like, emergency meeting. We need to answer Oko right now. Can we do it? No. I think there's Shit. also this like mentality when you read online forums. I do read quite a bit of the legacy subreddit. And when you look at the challenge results every week, people go, Great, Uro, Oko, Dreadhorde Arcanist. And then they go, Yeah. And then you have a bunch of combo decks since it's the only viable thing you can do to keep up with these decks, which is like somewhat true, but I think it is a little bit exaggerated. But when was the last time you saw Maverick put up a real finish, for example? Or, like, we just saw Death and Taxes do it, but it's, like, pretty infrequent that these decks ever have success. Also, as, like, the person who did commentary on those matches, Aaron Relentless drew hotter than the sun in a couple of those rounds, like, just ripping, like, back-to-back-to-back things to get him out of some tight spots, like, versus Elves, and I think round four, for example... And if we're being honest, Jarvis's draw in the finals did not line up particularly well against what he had. And Jarvis didn't just like slam one of these cards and just immediately take over the game. Aaron Relentless got to play Magic. And you don't always get to do that. Yeah, and this this combo versus Oko metagame that Bryant was just describing, like me trying to brew the the control decks both for my own pleasure and for the channel because people like to see that from me i can beat combo decks i can build my deck to beat combo decks i usually start my sideboards pretty heavy for that like i try to build my main deck to beat creatures build my sideboard to beat combo but then oko is just right in the middle it's not a creature i can answer 
five or six elks, but there's more coming. And like, it's just really hard to deal with that specific thing on that specific axis. In the a lot of high level players, invested players, I, I believe John Finkel is on record saying he thinks planeswalkers were a mistake for Magic the Gathering. Like just the card type, it, it's just inherent. Uh, it, they are the original Bane Drifters. Like they arrive, they immediately plus because you still have priority or minus. They get at least one thing, even if you have the hero's downfall immediately. They, it's still a two for one, and. I get it as like splashy mythics. Most of them are fine. But when a planeswalker is pushed even a little bit too hard, you get Ren and Six and you get Oko. And like Jace the Mind Sculptor got banned in Standard. And that card doesn't have the same effect on a game and is not as good at protecting itself or its caster as Oko is. So I think in general, what we would see with these changes is just like more decks would become viable. Like right now, it is a little damping, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. I'm not really sure. But like there aren't a whole lot of competitive decks or even viable decks that you can select. Like the people that don't want to play hyper competitive or efficient decks don't really have a choice right now. Like there's no reason to play your fun brew in anything other than like a fun league. Uh, when we used to look at challenge data, you would see like, you know, a Nick fit deck pop up every once in a while, or maybe somebody from the leaving a legacy Facebook group that can't put down their Hymnatorox. That just like doesn't happen anymore. And it's really exciting when they do like the, the posts in the legacy subreddit, like they label decks as like full spice and semi spice when people actually do something that isn't like rug or snow right now or some variation of a blue mid-range pile that's like kind of snow but it gets a different name because it's doing something slightly different like people like to see something other than those decks succeeding and it's becoming increasingly rarer speaking of that i think it's like sort of funny when you look at the goldfish data and you see snow and when you click in they've recently separated it as of this week but snow used to be snow miracles, pokey pile, snow day, and then actual snow. Like all of these decks are somewhat similar, and I don't blame anyone from Goldfish for not knowing the difference. But we are getting back into that blue stew. Everything looks the same that we once saw with Deathrite Shaman, where the format was becoming a little homogenized. I actually saw today on Twitter somebody posted a blue stew generator. So if, funny! If you click the, <laughs> yeah. If you click the link, it just generates a 60-card deck with just blue cards that are legacy playable and some lands to cast them. And I clicked it a few times, and I could play any of those decks and not be super embarrassed about it. Yeah, Turn, turns out that when you like have cards like Dreadheart Arcanist and, and Oko at the center of everything, what you're doing around it, while important doesn't really matter too much you will you will get so many games on the back of one of those cards right so circling back to how we started this conversation that the malaise of legacy players how we are all just like do i queue in do i wake up for the challenge do i bother like is it fun I will not lie to you, if I wasn't making content and getting donation decks and my community propping me up, I would not be playing Legacy. I would not boot up Magic Online. 
if I wasn't a content creator. Same. I started playing another game other than Magic the Gathering this year, and I put hundreds and hundreds of hours into that game out of actual legitimate fear of Legacy dying because I was watching so many of my friends quitting. And this process started months back and it's it's gaining traction and i'm watching more and more people sell their collections getting frustrated saying oh hey i took a break for six months are things better oh it's still this okay i'm gonna go back to playing slay the spire or something yeah plus this is a really bad time and this is obviously not wizard's fault but the covid quarantine we don't have the gathering the legacy community is largely just people who don't touch their decks for four months, then show up to hang out with their friends under the guise of a magic tournament. Like we're this whole conversation's been framed by like the grinders who bother to show up to play magic online. We're not even talking about like the the regular people out there who are still think him to Tarak is a good magic card. Like those sort of people, what what are they holding on to? They're not playing Legacy online. Everything they see Legacy sucks. And they can't even get the friend drip. So uh, I know a lot of people in my, my local scene, I my Facebook friends and stuff, I see them like one guy sold all his legacy cards and bought a bunch of high-end fishing poles. He he just fishes now instead of playing magic. And like that's that's a pretty common story and not necessarily fishing, but you know what I mean. Pokemon cards are all the rage right now. Yep. Lots of magic players just pivoting into like that uh, Gen 1 pokemon deck build whatever uh, that's a thing now um just any other hobby i think the biggest thing is that it feels a little bit like neglect like it's not that we needed the data points that we talked about in the beginning about how good rug delver is it's not like it's anything new it's that this has been going on ever since the companion shift and there hasn't even been a word in any of the bnr updates not even acknowledgement that this is an issue and we're also not going to get changes from this new set, right? Like, I am very, very, very happy that Kaldheim is a lower power level set. After what we've seen in the last two years, like, it is nice to not just have Legacy upended again with the printing of new cards. That said, nothing in this set is powerful enough that it is going to have a high impact on Legacy. And that means that we're in for months of this same stagnancy and disdain unless something changes. Yeah, remember when we thought Teferi and Narset were bullshit? Like, when we thought that, like, oh, this level of new card design is going to ruin Legacy, Teferi and Narset. We didn't even see Dreadhorde Arcanist at first in the same set that is Teferi and Narset. But now, like, we're at a point where it's not even close. Like, at least those Planeswalkers went down and stayed there. <laughs> like, Oko only goes up. It doesn't even have a minus. All right. Any final thoughts, gents? So, getting people excited to play Legacy again, that's how we want to end this. Uh, the, like, getting rid of these two cards, I, is there another egregious bane drifter hiding in the background like i think the next layer behind dreadhorde arcanist and oko is uro but we talked at length about why i think uro is okay and why we think oko and dreadhorde arcanist are not okay i i think these two i mean the war of the spark planeswalkers 
fundamentally changed legacy like narsa teferi karn they do matter they are different than legacy was two years ago but i don't think they've like eroded or made the format unfun or unplayable in the way that these two specific cards have speak to your speak for yourself regarding karn okay brian (laughs) it would also warm my heart to be able to listen to podcasts and watch streams and read articles without almost all of them having to be talking about bands or how bad the format is or how miserable the play patterns is. Uh, because I, I, I put on the smile and face for the webcam, you know, three, four different times a week. And it it's gotten a little grating. And like chat chat knows, you, YouTube knows what's up. Everyone knows what's up with Legacy right now. And and we wanna we wanna see something, even an announcement that says like, the data suggests that these decks aren't as good as you think it is. Like, we'll change it if the win rates become you know this threshold or something like that. If if you give us something that lets us know you're listening, it, like our concerns are heard. Like we we need that right now. We need it so badly. Amen. All right, folks. Um, thank you for joining us today, especially anyone from the Watsi end who uh, ends up listening to this. Um, I hope this was useful to you all. Have a great rest of the day. And for the regular listeners, our usual um, education-related shenanigans, grilling anecdotes, and all of that stuff, as well as an extended feedback section, we'll be back next week. See you all again soon, and don't forget, ban Dreadhorde Arcanist and Oko Thief of Grounds.